It is Monday, November 27th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. And I'm Matthew Moore. Today, a new CDC report shows tobacco use for middle school students is on the rise. The vaping device itself is a great product for adults who want to stop smoking or at least have an alternative to a cigarette. But when the top flavors are blue cotton candy and rainbow flavored candy, those are not going after adults. Plus, a boyhood friendship that began in Hot Springs and continued into the White House. Then when President Clinton was elected, uh, to my surprise, he asked to serve as chief of staff. And celebrating a concentration of woman-run and woman-owned businesses in downtown Fayetteville. I'm not certain I've seen other places like this that have this, you need these, just a, a street full of them. First, the hour's news. Celebrating Arkansas, Holiday Traditions, an Arkansas PBS original series debuts its winter episode December 4th at 7. Host Mario Luna explores the magic of Christmas, Hanukkah, and other winter season holidays, showcasing traditions, decorations, and holiday feasts. More at myarpbs.org slash celebratingarkansas. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season December 9th with two performances of its annual Christmas concert at Walton Arts Center. Performing a mix of holiday favorites under the baton of maestro Paul Haas, musicians will also be joined on stage by the Sona singers and other guests. Tickets at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, November 27th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville. Later on our show, we go into our archives to discuss Mac McClarty, a childhood friend and later a critical member of the administration of Bill Clinton. That's in today's second half hour. First today, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention published their latest National Youth Tobacco Survey this month, showing an overall decline in tobacco use among young people, with vaping still the most popular. However, the survey found an increase in middle school-aged kids using e-cigarettes and vaping products. Jim Carroll is the former director of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. He broke down the results of that study For Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. What we're really seeing is these disposable vapes that are coming into our country in staggering numbers made in China, marketed to our kids, is increasing in its popularity among middle schoolers. This should be a terrifying statistic for everyone. It's a wake-up call for lawmakers And it's really something the parents need to talk about with their kids. And can you break down just a little bit about those the products that we're looking at, these vapes, these e-cigarettes? You know, how are they being marketed to to youth and to kids? And what makes them maybe different than traditional tobacco products? Yeah. So um, first off, the you know the vaping device itself is a great product for adults who want to stop smoking or at least have an alternative to a cigarette. There's nothing wrong with them. They're, they serve a valuable purpose for an adult. But when the top flavors that are coming into our kids are made in China, the top two flavors are blue cotton candy and rainbow flavored candy, those are not going after adults. That's going after our children. When the outside of the container, the, the packaging has cartoon characters, they're marketing it to our children. 
And now the latest trend with these illegal disposable flavored vapes is they're being disguised as school supplies. They look like a yellow highlighter or something else that, you know, a kid should have in their backpack from school. They're doing this intentionally. The same Chinese drug cartels that are going after, you know, are with fentanyl, with the other drugs that are hitting our country, are now moving towards this. And the DEA is reporting that, you know, some of these illegal vapes have contained fentanyl itself. That's a tragedy. It really is. And, you know, I was just working with the Arkansas Attorney General, Tim Griffin. Um, you know, they just announced the purchase of almost 6,000 kits of naloxone for the state of Arkansas. That's because for a record number of teenagers are dying from fentanyl. Now we're seeing middle school use of illegal vapes, you know, that are in cotton candy flavors that are, be, you know, might even contain more fentanyl. This has to end. This is, should be a priority, you know, at the federal, state, and local level. And I congratulate the people of Arkansas and, you know, Attorney General Griffin for making sure that naloxone is more widely available. Now let's get these off store shelves. Let's make sure that, you know, the ability to save lives is by not even allowing this product on the store shelves. And and so how are the, a lot of these products, you know, getting onto store shelves, getting in the hands of, of teenagers and youth? How are they, the companies and, and product manufacturers, you know, getting around some of that, uh, I guess, some of the legal uh, aspects of, of getting these ha- into the hands of kids? Yeah, sadly, what we're seeing are, you know, some stores who just don't care. Um, all they care about is making a dollar, you know, so they don't ask for the ID or they mm-hmm. don't really enforce the law. The other thing that we're seeing, you know, is maybe an older brother or an older, you know, sibling not understanding the dangers and buying it, um, you know, and then giving it to a younger sibling. Or, you know, what we also know is happening are people, you know, adults that are are buying it and then, you know, making a profit and selling it to kids, just like they're, you know, they're selling, you know, Percocet, um, you know, looking at pills that actually contain fentanyl to children. They're now selling, you know, a yellow highlighter you know, that's easy to hide from a parent, you know, that's being sold, you know, in blue cotton candy and gummy bear flavors. Overall, cigarette use is down 80% um, over the past decade among adults. But we're seeing disposable flavored vapes by middle schoolers going up. And I think a lot of us maybe remember, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, the the anti-smoking campaigns, which were pretty effective uh, in in cessation. Uh, So why, why is vaping becoming so much more popular and this type of tobacco use sort of resurging? I mean, you've touched on it a little bit, but could you just dig into that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the reasons that we're seeing, you know, this surging is the way that it's marketed. You know, it's not being marketed to adults. It's being marketed to kids. It's relatively cheap. You know, it tastes good. You know, it's cotton candy. It's gummy bear. And what kids don't understand is the danger. This does not have the you know, marketing on it, you know, on the side of a pack of cigarettes, there's all sorts of warnings on this. There is no marking. There's nothing that a child or even an adult could look at and realize that they're going down a path to, at the very least, an addiction to nicotine at the very most, at least according to the DEA, that some of these might contain fentanyl. We're talking about something that could cause their death. Illegal drugs are the number one cause of death for 18 to 45-year-olds. It's the fastest rising cause of death for teenagers. And I really do you know, need the federal government to step up here and get rid 
you know, candy flavored, dessert flavored vapes marketed to our children, they need to be, you know, removed off the store shelves. And so the great work that's happening in Arkansas can really be amplified by getting these products off the shelves. And so what are the health concerns of vaping that the CDC is looking at that maybe are different uh, from other traditional types of tobacco use and, and smoking? The problem is that these, you know, illegal disposable vapes, there's no quality control. They're, at the very best, you know, they're supposed to contain, you know, nicotine. But what we're seeing also are, because they're unregulated, there are dangerous chemicals that are in there. You know, we're seeing products, you know, that people are consuming through the vape um, that should not be in there, that are a health hazard. And, you know, some of these dangerous chemicals, you know, at the very least are in there. And so, you know, the vaping itself, as I said, is a great product. It's great for adults, you know, who are trying to quit smoking or at least use something other than a cigarette. But when they're illegal, when we don't have the quality control, what we need to do is make sure, you know, that they're not available for sale. And especially for kids, we know that tobacco is one of the, is a drug. It is. It's something that is addictive. And so, you know, what we need to do is not let this be exposed to our kids. You know, if adults you know, want to do it, um, you know, I'm more concerned about the kids. And so what is, you know, one thing that needs to happen uh, to address this problem? What's maybe one big policy change that could take effect right now to address this? Yeah, what could happen right now is for the Food and Drug Administration that regulates this, the FDA, the FDA could help end this. They could empower federal law enforcement um, to seize these at the border. You know, right now the FDA has issued warning letters and, you know, they've talked about it, you know, what's called an import alert and things like that, but they're not seizing it. They're not taking it off the store shelves. You know, we're not, you know, cracking down and prosecuting the people that are sending this here illegally. We have, I would argue, enough laws on the books. What we need to see is enforcement. What we need to see is an uproar from parents that these are being sold on store shelves. And what we have to do is really educate parents that it could even look like a yellow highlighter. And so use the holiday, talk to your kids, talk to your lawmakers, and really make sure that this illegal product, these you know, flavored disposable vapes from China, are not in our community. All right, Jim, that's mostly what I had for you. Is there anything else you wanted to, to add, say, or think people should know? Um, so... You know, we know President Biden met with President Xi of China last week. Supposedly, they talked about fentanyl and stopping the flow of fentanyl from China. That's great. What we've also pushed for is President Biden to tell the Chinese to stop sending these illegal disposable vapes. I hope that was part of the conversation. We really do need to take, it really is a no-brainer. There's no opposition to this, right? There's no support mm-hmm. group. Um, you know, for Chinese drug cartels. Um, this is an easy, you know, step for parents and lawmakers to take, and let's get rid of this product. All right, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was a former White House drug czar Jim Carroll speaking with Ozarks at Large's Dana Carruth about the most recent National Youth Tobacco Survey from the CDC. Still to come on today's show, a December night dedicated to women-owned and women-run businesses in downtown Fayetteville. As with any holiday season, supporting local is so important, but then also adding um, the additional aspect of being, you know, women owned, minority owned, all of these things to help amplify our business community. We learn more about Holiday Hall ahead on today's show.
Music note uh, this morning. The, yes. the Odd in Eureka Springs is going to be hosting Old Crow Medicine Show. I love that. Uh, and it's not that far away. Yeah. Often these days, you know, coming to the Amp in September. Yeah. Uh, 2027. Right. <laughs> but this is happening uh, January 20th. Oh, wow. And tickets go on sale Friday wow. at 9 a.m. you got to go to tickets.thunderticks.com. Old Crow Medicine Show. Yeah, in January. There you go, just announced. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got a lot of lot of lot of good music coming up. We've got and you've done quite a few interviews with folks. We've got Lori Morgan, yes, very soon. Uh, Ricky Skaggs coming to Fort Smith, like this weekend. I ugh, don't quote me, but you'll hear from Ricky before that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of good lots of good music, um, and I love that it's all kind of falling in that that era that genre as well. Yeah, and guess what. Everyone we just mentioned, Lori Morgan, Ricky Skaggs, and Old Crow Medicine Show, all members of the Grand Ole Opry. Have you been? I've been to the Ryman, okay. but I haven't been to the I haven't been to an Opry show in uh-huh. the new Opry. Yes, I saw Neil Young at the Ryman. I've I saw a, a, a show, the Grand Ole Opry show, once. It's been a while ago, um, and it's kind of one of those things where, like, if you're in Nashville, oh yeah, and you have a night to do something, you're never going to be disappointed going right. to an Opry show. I think we saw Carrie Underwood, which was really a, a well-produced show. Would not have necessarily been my first choice, but it was really a wonderful show and a, a cool atmosphere, for sure. All right. Well, if you want to see Old Crow Medicine show, not at the Opry, but at the Odd, <laughs> tickets go on sale Friday morning. If you've been a good person and just made things better uh, for your family and, and your community and, and, and your friends, you've, you've had a good and meaningful life. Before I tell people, Randy, about you, Tell us about what we heard. Well, I would say those were probably words to live by. Um, you know, it, the, today's story uh, profile is about a very successful businessman and politician who's from Arkansas. And you know the expression, I think it was Leo DeRocher who said, nice guys finish last. Mm-hmm. Not true in this case. Now, before we go further, I will tell people you're Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. And as we do most Mondays, we're going to go through a bit of Arkansas history with archives. Yes, and a profile. Yes. And today it's Thomas F. McClarty, better known as Mac. We're going to talk about his journey from Hope, Arkansas to the White House. Does that sound familiar? That is a trajectory that we are familiar with, yes. Yes, that we have, we have talked about before, and there's a reason. Uh, Mac McClarty and Bill Clinton, same age, grew up together in Hope, Arkansas. Um, and here's kind of a funny, small uh, state story. They both went to the same kindergarten. Uh, <laughs> years later... Uh, Mike Huckabee did, too, but it was Miss Mary's kindergarten in Hope, and it was a one-room schoolhouse in the backyard of Miss Mary's house, and the reason I know that is Miss Mary was my great aunt. Wow. And my brother and I used to spend summers there and play in that schoolhouse. Had no idea. It had such... 
uh, a history. You know, of course, Bill Clinton and Mac McClarty's paths crossed throughout their lives, still do. But um, last week I was able to talk to Mr. McClarty from his uh, Washington office, and I asked him about his early years in hope. It was a Norman Rockwell-type existence. Uh, it was uh, after World War II, there was great optimism in the country, great energy in the country. My father had returned from World War II. Um, you're right, I, I did attend Miss Mary's kindergarten, can still remember it, and I had some wonderful classmates, including Bill Clinton, among many others. Um, and that that kind of fact kind of underscores that, that I just was so fortunate to get just a really quality education in grade school, high school, uh, and junior high. Uh, the teachers were exemplary and just, but, but just more fundamentally, hope was such a sense of community. People cared about each other. They rooted for you. Uh, my parents were such wonderful role models, loving, caring parents that never pushed me to do anything, but always supported me and really emphasized not only family and faith and, 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 and those very fundamental pillars of our country, but also the worth and dignity of each individual. And uh, it just was a remarkable, wonderful place to grow up. So his father owned a car dealership. And so I'm assuming that's how McClarty mm -hmm. has his interest in business. But I really wanted to know about how he became his interested in politics, and uh, he had this story. Uh, my, my dad was interested in politics, but not real active. Uh, I did get a taste of it when I was about 10 years old. My father, uh, Francis Cherry, who, who ran for mm -hmm. governor, uh, was on a Presbyterian church board with my father, uh, Governor Cherry, candidate Cherry at that time, was from Jonesboro. And he came to our home in Hope, I can still remember it, and the driver of candidate Cherry was none other than David Pryor, also a Presbyterian from Camden. Little did I know, little did I know, on that fateful day, I met two future governors of Arkansas, Francis Cherry and David Pryor. Now, he's a University of Arkansas alum, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. He was president of the student body, mm. uh, studied business. And um, when he was president of the student body his senior year, he started a speaker series. Uh, I, it was called the Symposium. And we have in the archives uh, – continued symposiums it it was a tradition that that continued oh, wow. throughout the years but i found an interview uh with college senior president of the student body uh, mac mcclarty he was interviewed by of course jim pitcock uh this was 1968 and this is about the first symposium I understand that uh, you contacted these speakers you wanted and uh, you actually said that you would pay them and you invited them down to speak before you actually sold any tickets at all and you were in the hole $20,000 before you even started. Is well, that correct? That's basically correct, Jim. Uh, this is one thing that we had to do. Uh, we couldn't quibble over money. 
because we didn't have anything to offer concretely, no past record. So we shot from the hip to use a trite term and uh, we didn't pinch pennies because once you get up in the $15,000, $20,000 bracket, there's no sense worrying about a couple of $100. Uh, we were $22,000. We had that many expenses that had to be paid without a ticket sold, but we did have faith that uh, the student body would buy the tickets if we got the speakers. And of course, you had to get the speakers first to get to sell the tickets, and we've ended up making uh, some profit, not anything large, but we have made some profit. Who were some of the outstanding speakers? Well, uh, of course, Senator or ex-Senator Barry Goldwater uh, on the Republican side, along with Gerald Ford, House Minority Leader, uh, Mike Mansfield. Of course, in this two-week period, Senator Edward Brooke is a very distinguished statesman. Uh, Anson Mount, you mentioned from Playboy, Major Pete Dawkins, who will be here tonight uh, while we're conducting this interview, former Rhodes Scholar and Heisman Trophy winner in football. Uh, Robert Vaughn, star of the man from Uncle, is represents the dovish view of Vietnam. David Brinkley, a news commentator. Bill Lawrence of ABC, who is a tremendous speaker. Uh, Ex-Governor Orville Faubus, the uh, Honorable Winthrop Rockefeller. That's uh, that's about as close as I can get to the list. There is Joe Pine. I don't guess I should leave him out. He might come back at me. Well, of course, Goldwater, Mansfield, <laughs> and uh, House Minority Leader Ford, they will speak in the spring session, so they won't be included in the special program. Right. I, we tried to work around this. Uh, of course, Congressman Ford was supposed to appear, but he had Social Security legislation on the floor, and you can't hardly ask him to come here. Uh, we tried to group it in a two-week period, not for just television purposes, but to get the full impact to the student body of exactly what was taking place in your first year. And uh, we're very pleased that we got as many speakers as we could in this two-week period. This is so interesting because, you know, a year or so ago, we had that clip from Mike Huckabee when he was a senior, yeah, in, high senior school. in high school. So some of these interviews you get, you don't know until What's gonna happen? years later. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you could tell he was going places. Right. He always thought big, I would yeah. think. Uh, but while he was here at the university, he he met his soon-to-be wife, uh, Donna K. Cochran, and she was also a business major. And they 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 married right after graduation. But it's funny that uh, McClarty graduated summa cum laude. He was third in the mm. class. Well, guess who was second right ahead of him? Donna. <laughs> and uh, he joined the family business, which, by the way, now is a fourth-generation transportation company. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also ran for and won a seat in uh, the state house of representatives. And, uh, by the way, he was 23 at the wow. time. Wow. And in 1974, he became chairman of the state Democratic Party. Now, think about 1974. And what happened that year? So that would have been the year that Fannie Fox jumped into the Mills. jumped into the title basin. That's right. She was a an exotic dancer. Yes. Who Wilbur Mills was having an affair with? Yes. And it became a national news story. That's correct. And he admitted to being an alcoholic mm-hmm. and went into treatment. So Mac McClarty was sort of dealing with that. And I found an interview with him. Uh, discussing, let's see, he was with KTV's John Hudgens and talked about Representative Mills' problems. Here's a man who has served us well for 34 years, and I, I would hope and think that everyone would be 
deeply concerned about his physical well-being and about what medical reports are going to indicate uh, about his health. Should the incident cause Congressman Mills to lose power, what do you think state Democrats would do? John, first of all, at this time, I think it would be uh, somewhat unfair to speculate too much on that subject, simply because Mr. Mills and those that are close to him are deeply concerned about his health. Uh, he is is troubled by it. He went into Bethesda under voluntarily, uh, and I think the medical reports will, will shed some light on that. As far as what state Democrats would do uh, under that hypothetical situation, legally I don't know that we have any particular course or, or precedent to follow. I don't know that we have any uh, set pattern. He dealt with with it, as you could tell, yeah. quite well. Um Moving on, I found more in the archives. And two years later, in 76, he was named uh, by the JCs as one of the young men of the year. So once again, the outstanding men of 76 are Dr. Robert Harold Pfizer, Jr., Thomas uh, Mac McClarty, and Eddie Powell. And they certainly deserve a lot. My favorite stat here is he's named Young Man of the Year five years after he was elected to public office. That's right. I mean... Yeah, a little ironic. You're you're on a pretty good trajectory at a this point. A little overachiever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's... Hey, speaking of overachieving... Yes. Let's move on to 1983, and let's listen in on uh, a board meeting of Arc Gas. And he was named chairman and chief executive officer of ARCLA, which, by the way, was a Fortune 500 national uh, natural gas company. And last, uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Mac McClarty. Uh, Mac, in addition to being a, a good board member, has also been a great friend for years. He's a native of Hope, Arkansas, and a great and varied background, and it's our pleasure. Uh, to announce him as the president of Arkansas Louisiana Gas Company, effective today. He'll join us on June 1. I hope you'll help me well. You mentioned it was a Fortune 500 company, but it had it wasn't as big as it was going to be no. at this point. No. Yeah. During his tenure, it, it grew uh, to be the nation's largest natural gas distributor uh, with customers in 11 states. Wow. Uh, and, you know, exp extensive exploration and, and pipeline operations. But here's, here's kind of a funny story. Um, in TV news, at least at KATV, when there was a big event, especially a person, we would do a profile. Mm -hmm. We called it a backgrounder. That to you give sort us back. of looked at, yeah, sure. You know, it's like, all right, how did this, this person get this here? This is Mac McClarty. What it's, it's sort of like an obit before somebody dies. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's you know sort of like Mac McClarty. This is your life. I was going to say it's Ralph Edwards. Yes, but mm. in this case, it's Bob Steele. Right. <laughs> Mac McClarty has shown a propensity for business and politics all his adult life. A 1968 honor graduate from the University of Arkansas, his degree is in business administration. As a senior, he was president of the student body. A Hope native, McClarty captured a seat in the State House of Representatives in 1970 and served one term. That same year, he founded a leasing company which grew to be a major regional truck and finance leasing corporation. 
From 1974 through 1976, McClarty was chairman of the state Democratic Party and served as a member of the Democratic National Committee. He was treasurer for the successful gubernatorial campaigns of David Pryor in 1974 and Bill Clinton in 1978. All right, so right now we're in the mid-1980s. Right, and he's spending his time uh, running ARCLA, but he's also, because of his experience in politics, uh, he gets uh, the attention of George H.W. Bush, dad. Mm -hmm. And um, he is named to the uh, National Petroleum Council. Uh, You know, of course, Bush was defeated in 1992 by none other than... His kindergarten mate. (laughs) Yes, Bill Clinton. So this is a great story. Here comes the phone call. Then when President Clinton was elected, uh, to my surprise, he asked me to serve as chief of staff. And kind of my story, Randy, is when a lifelong friend beginning at Miss Mary's kindergarten, someone who you've known those years, you've supported his governorship helped found the new democrat movement the centrist democrat movement that's really what he ran on and here's the president-elect asking you to help him support him uh and support the country you know the, the right answer is i'm honored and yes sir i'll be i'll be i'll be very privileged to serve i just think that would be a tough job oh it's got to be and 24 7 right yeah right and you know in some ways i guess you could say it's a thankless job, maybe. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, you have to deal with a lot. And think about it. The They're coming into the White House after a long series of years with Republicans. Twelve straight. Two, yes. two Reagan terms and, a, and the first President Bush. That's right. So he talks here about the adjustments they had to make. Bill Clinton, Governor Clinton, came to office. After 12 years of Republicans being in the White House with Ronald Reagan and then George H.W. Bush, so that was a huge transition where you've got another party coming in, a new president, younger president from a small state of Arkansas, you know, was pretty well known nationally, but not as well as some people who have run for, for, for president. So there was a lot to do. And, and, boy, when we first started in 1993, including the economic plan, because, as James Carville had famously said, it was the economy stupid. And uh, so we concentrated on the, the economy and the economic plan, the budget deficit, and, and so forth. And we were able to pass that. But the president also had to step on the world stage and meet other world leaders, many of whom he met for the first time. Bill Clinton was pretty pretty broad-gauged, having uh, very broad gauged, having having gone to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, as a governor in Arkansas, he had had a lot of trade missions. I mean, he was a really broad gauged person in the world, but uh, it's not quite the same as serving like you are in the Senate or, or in President Bush's case, having been Vice President Ambassador to China. So we had that facet, but you also had the press. You had to get to know the Washington press, even though he'd been through the campaign. You had to make sure people that brung you, as the old saying goes, those that voted for you, supported you, felt they were remembered and were part of things. But you also had to broaden that because now, you know, Bill Clinton was president of the United States of America, i.e. representing every American. You know, when you're chief of staff, you're dealing with policy. 
You're dealing with personnel. You're dealing with the press. Again, yes. I think it's a never-ending, thankless job. Yes. And he did it for 18 months. Uh, yeah, which is a long time. Right. And think about what was accomplished in those 18 months. Uh, he worked on the deficit reduction plan. Mm-hmm. First time there was a balanced budget. Uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement. NAFTA. Uh, yep. The Family Medical Leave Law. And the landmark welfare reform legislation. Mm. That had 6.8 million people to move from welfare to work. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Especially for 18 months. Yeah. I can't imagine getting that much done in a year and a half. No. Um, you know, he also organized the 1994 Summit of Americas. Mm. It was in Miami. So... Um, you know, he took that role on from January of 1993 to July of 1994. So it was an intense year and a half, to say the least. And you have to keep your wits about you and keep your perspective because it's just such a fast-paced demanding. Uh, you're going to have UFOs, as I refer to them, unidentified objects after the Chinese balloon and others. But what I really mean is unforeseen occurrences. I mean, you're going to have your day and week all lined out, and then something, you're going to have a hurricane in Florida or an international incident in, in Russia or or an earthquake in Syria, some tragedy, or Katrina. Uh-huh. You're, you're going to have these things come in unexpectedly that you have to deal with immediately. And I think that's what struck me, Randy, about the White House. Even though I'd had these experiences, it, it just the breadth of the issues and the pace was so much more intense. And, you know, you're a student of government. You think government doesn't move very fast, and, and legislatively that that's true. But the truth of it, my experience was, and I think most people, particularly working in the White House, that the decision-making process was much more accelerated than, than I had found it to be in the private sector because you, you had to get ahead of decisions and, and, and make those decisions, uh, even though you might not have perfect facts. But um, I want to hear from one, one more person. Okay, all right. Um, his former White House colleague, and now anchor and host of Good Morning America, ABC, uh, George Stephanopoulos, uh, wanted to just give a comment uh, about his his old colleague. And this is George um, just sent this in today uh, from New York from the set of Good Morning America. Mac McClarty is about the most decent man I ever met in politics. Supremely organized, kind. And sneakily smart. George Stephanopoulos now has been on Ozarks at Large. Hey, so yeah, hit. short and sweet. But, hey, I think it sums up Mac McClarty. So I guess the whole point to this segment is that sometimes nice guys do finish first. Right. And that nice guy this time is Mac McClarty. Randy Dixon, also a nice fellow. Thank <laughs> you. We'll talk again next week. Thanks. I'll see you then.
This is Ozarks at Large. Those specialized seasonal shopping days are already here. We've already gone past Black Friday and Small Business Saturday. Today is Cyber Monday. Tomorrow, Giving Tuesday. Here's another one, though much smaller in scale. December 8th, the organization Woman Run is teaming up with the Downtown Fayetteville Coalition to host Holiday Hall. Holiday Hall places an emphasis on supporting women-owned and women-run businesses in downtown Fayetteville. Last week, we talked with Meredith Lowry, a co-founder of Women Run, and Kelly Rich, executive director of the Downtown Fayetteville Coalition, about this inaugural Holiday Hall that happens to coincide with a car-free Friday at the lights of the Ozarks on the Fayetteville Square. Meredith Lowry says Woman Run alternates monthly events between Northwest and Central Arkansas. Holiday Hall is the Woman Run activity for December to support the woman-run businesses in the downtown Fayetteville Square. And there are several, are there not? There are an enormous amount. It's kind of fun because one of my tasks is marking them on our map that will get circulated for attendees and also for the businesses to help promote. And I'm now getting the maps very crowded in certain areas. As we move up Lock Street and around the square, down and around, out, it's it's kind of entertaining to a certain extent. I think I'm going to have to get a bigger map or have a better system for the map. Uh, I mean, but you're not complaining. No. I, I mean, one person, early on, someone's like, are you going to run out of woman-run businesses? And we never. It, there's so many. And there's so many wonderful people to talk to about their business. Well, I want to get into the specifics of Holiday Hall here in a minute, but Kelly Rich, let me bring you into the conversation. Holiday Hall, you know, is part of Lights of the Ozarks that's downtown. It's on December 8th. Before we get to the specifics, let's talk about Lights of the Ozarks. They're on the lights. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some things happening this year that are are different or new. Yeah, we are super excited to um, continually look at ways to help the event grow. Um, it's a 30-year-old event. Did you know that? It's 30 years of Lights of the Ozark. And uh, as we all know, the, this is not the same event from 30 years ago. It's not the same city from th- uh, 30 years ago. It has uh, grown massively, and we wanted to look into ways that we could um, kind of offset and, and be flexible to um, help the event continue to grow. And so one of those things that we decided to do is look at some different footprints, um, some different uh, ways to, for traffic flow, things like that. And then uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is to create a brand new experience uh, to Lights of the Ozarks and getting people out of their cars and experiencing it on the street. So we're doing open streets on Friday nights. And so for um, the first four Friday nights in December from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., we're going to shut the cars, uh, excuse me, we're going to shut the streets to cars and be car free during that time period. So this will be a way for you to walk the square, uh, shop at our businesses, grab a drink and enjoy the the aura. Uh, We're going to have some music activated in the Arvis Plaza. Um, and of course, all the normal activation, like you know, pictures with Santa and some other vendors that are set up around the square. Um, we're just really excited to, to give people an opportunity to come and enjoy the square. We don't want people to just drive through and then leave our town. We want to uh, get them out and to support our small businesses. And so when Meredith and I started chatting uh, and we started talking about this event, We thought it was a wonderful addition to one of these Friday nights. So on December 8th, 
we decided to implement Holiday Hall in addition to one of our open streets. And when she started talking about what her vision was, I was just pumped because it is a wonderful opportunity to highlight our many, many women-owned businesses downtown. So I was really excited to be asked to, to help her plan it and to be a part of it. We're going to start at Big Box. So Kelly and I will be there and we will have drink tickets for the first 100 registrants that will be good at Maxine's and at Big Box. And then we're going to send off people with a shopping bag and see how their haul goes. Uh, and Big Box, we should, that's on block. That's the karaoke. Uh, yes. Place right. We will have the map with uh, designated women-owned businesses, and then also some um, women-owned partnerships. Uh, you know, a perfect example is Brandon at Jam and Java, who wanted to support this initiative and invited a local uh, female entrepreneur to set up in his business. Uh, we're working with Bank of Fayetteville, that's going to be utilizing their front space uh, to bring in some local uh, female-owned uh, vendors, and so. With all of this, we just want people to to go and explore and enjoy downtown um, and really, you know, as with any holiday season, supporting local is so important. But then also adding um, the additional aspect of being, you know, women owned, minority owned, all of these things to help amplify our business community uh, will be a perfect, you know, season to celebrate Fayetteville. If you made maps of other places, maybe it's Midtown and Fayetteville or it's Bentonville or it's Conway or Little Rock, would we see the same kind of uh, big number of dots representing women run businesses throughout Central Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas, do you think? I know there are some in North Little Rock. And I'm not certain I've seen other places like this that have this, you need it's just a, a street full of them. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I, I'm not certain if other places in Arkansas have this density. Any theory why downtown Fayetteville does have such a concentration of, of women-run, woman-owned businesses? She's going to fight me on this one, but I'm going to say Hannah Withers is a big supporter of downtown and has done so many things for our community and supporting those businesses. It makes it easier in my mind for those women to come after her and with that support so right. that was one reason we wanted to loop in vaccines here so badly and be able to she's given so much of herself over the years make sure that we're sponsoring vaccines even though she's like fridays are busy anyway but okay i will take your money <laughs> Kelly, the lights are on. As you mentioned, yes. it's it's 30 years in. Um, mm -hmm. What what do you think has become special about this? Because as you said, it's not the same event it was 30 years ago when it started somewhat modestly. The town's not the same. What do you think has changed the most about it? I think most of what I'm picking up on Lights of the Ozark is the emotional connection of a lot of these people are now bringing their children and are able to talk about when they came when they were younger and uh, to be able to, you know, th this whole tradition lies 
you know, where they're pulling people um, from our, you know, an hour away to come and enjoy this. And I know that several of our, you know, amazingly beautiful sister cities all do similar, um, you know, celebrations, but there's something special about Fayetteville. Um, I think I witnessed it for the first time at light night and the parade on this past Friday night and being able to see the amounts of people that came and we're talking about multi-generational you know everybody from grandma down to the babies um lots of dogs to come and enjoy this together this free and open to the public experience and um to be able to share stories about you know how how the event has changed how Fayetteville has changed and to be excited for our our next you know chapter as the the best city in northwest arkansas Meredith, where can people find out more about Woman Run? Our Facebook page is a good place. It also has links to the event coming up on the 8th. And there's also a link on the Wright Lindsay and Jennings page to go towards our Facebook page. And if this is the December event and it's in Northwest Arkansas, I'm guessing then the January event will be in Central Arkansas. It is. We have a author that I can't say a whole lot yet, but uh, she's got a book releasing. And so we're, we're trying to time that well with that because it, it follows the same sort of mission of Woman Run, supporting women entrepreneurs. But her book is focused on getting more girls into a career that does not have a lot of women in it. So I'm very excited about that event as well. Meredith, Kelly, thank you both for your time. Yeah, thank you. Happy holidays. Kelly Rich is executive director of Downtown Fayetteville Coalition. Meredith Lowry is co-founder of Woman Run. The first holiday hall Friday night, December 8th in downtown Fayetteville. The Razorback volleyball team will host first and second round NCAA tournament matches this weekend at Barnhill Arena. The NCAA tournament field was announced last evening. The Razorbacks earned a number three seed and will face Stephen F. Austin Friday night at 7 in Barnhill. Friday afternoon before that match, Florida State plays TCU also in Barnhill. Then the winners of those two Friday matches play each other Saturday evening in Barnhill. Otherwise, a mixed bag for Razorback sports this holiday weekend. Women's basketball team split their games in a tournament in Florida, Arkansas defeating Wisconsin then losing to Marquette. The men's basketball team dropped two of three in the Bahamas in a tournament, and the football season ended in Fayetteville Friday with a 48-14 loss to Missouri. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Songs. Saxophonist John Marshall Greer was born November 21, 1923, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, to Harry and Betty Greer. He attended Langston High, named for Reconstruction-era Virginia Congressman John Mercer Langston. In an era of U.S. school segregation, all-black Langston was known for excellent instructors, high-achieving students, and strong academic and extracurricular programs, including its music. A large child, Greer became known as Big John, Billed at gigs as 240 pounds of solid jive. From his teens, Greer played Hot Springs area nightclubs filled with visitors from across the country. Tourists came to enjoy therapeutic baths from the local hot springs, but also to soak up the area's ample nightlife, which included not just music, but gambling and prostitution. 
Greer met upperclassman Henry Glover at Langston. Greer played sax, and Glover played trumpet. Glover became the most famous musical Langstonian, a sought-after producer, arranger, and writer of such hits as Drown in My Own Tears. And Glover became the prime mover behind John Greer's own musical career. Now just because you're pretty and you think you're mighty wise. After graduation, Henry Glover invited Greer to come to Huntsville, Alabama, where Glover attended Alabama AM. He helped facilitate Greer's gig in the college's official band, the AM Collegians. But a few years later, it was a much bigger deal when Glover recommended Greer to join on tenor sax in another Alabama-connected band he was in, the nationally known Lucky Millinder Band. Anniston, Alabama native Lucky Millinder was one of the country's top band leaders. Unlike in most bands, members were encouraged to record solo. Millinder didn't play an instrument and rarely sang, so his band often launched breakout talent. Rosetta Tharp, Lockjaw Davis, Ruth Brown, Bill Doggett, and Wynoni Harris heard here from 1951 with Big John Greer on sax. Henry Glover had joined Millinder's band in 1945 as a trumpeter. He'd become breakout talent too, but as an arranger, producer, writer, and talent scout. In fact, Greer replaced Bull Moose Jackson with Jackson's solo career taking off due to Glover's songs and production. Jackson is still remembered today for his Glover-produced 1952 song, Big Ten Inch Record. However, a powerful vocalist and saxist himself, Greer quickly stepped into Bull Moose Jackson's role, both as a Lucky Millinder sideman and by releasing his own solo records. For the late 1940s, Big John Greer had a forward-thinking rocking sound, as well as a name for his band, who were called the Rhythm Rockers. Although Greer's initial bands on his records were actually studio players and his Millinder bandmates. You played on my piano, and now you want to beat my drum. John Greer recorded prolifically, solo and as a sideman, ballads and rockers, instrumentals, and with his booming vocals. He also recorded a succession of duets, including with V. Williams and Demita Joe. He's heard here with Dolores Brown singing, You Played on My Piano, released in 1952. Greer's biggest duet hit was his first, however, a version of I'll Never Be Free with Anastine Allen that hit the top 10 in early 1951. John Greer's final solo hit was also his biggest, and with his other chart successes being duets and Lucky Millinder releases, it was actually Greer's only hit under his own name. Got You On My Mind hit number two R&B in early 1952. Jerry Lee Lewis, Joe Tex, Eric Clapton, and Big Joe Turner have all since recorded it. I'm going back to Arkansas. I'm going home. Man, I trust what's wrong? what's wrong, man? There's too much confusion. <laughs> What this world's coming to Through the rest of the mid-1950s, Big John Greer tried to land another hit. He recorded with a couple of vocal groups to mix things up, the Dew Droppers heard here, and the Four Students. And Greer did a holiday single called We Want to See Santa Do the Mambo. And he did a couple simply as John Greer without the big. Conversely, his final RCA sessions were released as by a big boy and his combo. In 1955, Greer was dropped from the label. Man, give me 
gonna drink of that stuff. Red juice! Mmm, I love this jive. But again, Henry Glover intervened for Big John Greer. In early 1956, he helped Greer get signed to King Records, where Glover himself had achieved his groundbreaking success. It would be Greer's final record deal, and it didn't last a year. After four releases and no hits, and facing increasing complications from drinking alcohol, Greer was released from his contract. At age 33, Big John Greer left the national music stage and returned to Arkansas. He had recorded for less than eight years total. Can't stand it any longer. But Greer's touristy hometown of Hot Springs had always held music, clubs, and gigs for him. He played locally, including in a jazz trio fronted by Reggie Cravens, although seldom recognized as a local made good. Greer spent his last years in Hot Springs and died May 12, 1972. Big John Greer was 48 years old. With Play Me Some Loud Music, an unreleased track from 1954, here's Big John Greer of Hot Springs, Arkansas. Some Loud Music, an unreleased track recorded in August 1954 by Big John Greer of Hot Springs. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old State House Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud. Ozarks at Large is created in the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville and is a production of KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Matthew produced today's program in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. The group Friends of the Berryville Library is raising funds for a new library building big enough to serve the needs of its growing community. For more information on the importance of public libraries in the lives of individuals and the strength of our communities, and how you can help, BerryvilleLibrary.org. It's time for the annual KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway, your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters, including Trendsetter Barbershop and Salon, The Commons Bar and Cafe at Theater Squared, Therapod's Float Spa, and more. Winners announced December 8th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration at KUAF.com.